Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle-dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy, and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do! Now, it's Texans All Access. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And yes, I had to think about what day it was because they seemingly are all running together for about the last, I don't know, eight months, maybe. It feels like it's all the same day. My my buddy Tyler Sutarth, who is a Emmy-winning uh, videographer, he and I were down in the, the digital studio today. We were talking about, like, what day is it today? Monday, Monday's Monday, Tuesday, okay. it's Wednesday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so that means I got radio tonight, but I'm really excited to be with you because we have got a great show for you DP Studio is going to stop by. We're going to go behind enemy sidelines. Uh, in just a little bit, she caught up with Nathan Zagura from Browns Radio, just as I did. I didn't go on Browns Radio, but I was on a Brown Cleveland TV station yesterday. So kind of swapping notes, if you will. So we'll have Nathan Zagura on to go behind enemy sidelines. Drew Dory's going to stop by because we've got 12 questions. Drew's dozen with Terrell Adams. We've also got Drew and I in the lab today. And you know my man Mark Vandermeer is going to make an appearance and give us his thoughts about going to Cleveland for the first time in six years. Now, we played him in 17 and 18. And we rotate every three years in the AFC. But we played him in 18 because that 2017 uh, season was such a dud for us. We were fourth in the AFC South. And so we matched up with the fourth place team in the AFC North that happened to be the Browns. So typically we play them every three years, but we haven't been back to Cleveland in six. And in that game at Cleveland, a certain defensive end lined up at wide receiver and had his second offensive touchdown. I think that right. Yeah, I think it was the second because his first was at Oakland playing the artist formerly known as the Oakland Raiders. Caught it just a little easy, just out in the flat in the corner. Nobody there. Threw it to him. Fitzy threw it to him. Touchdown. At Cleveland... He lined up outside and threw a fade route to him. That jungle cat went up and got it, got a knee or two feet or something in the end zone and made the catch. It was, it was amazing. But that was a really good win for the Texans. And what a lot of people forget, because the Browns have been so bad for a long time, 2014, that team, I believe, was 6-3. and three. They just come off a big win in Atlanta. And the starting quarterback was Brian Hoyer, playing for offense coordinator Kyle Shanahan. They were 6-3. and three. Went up there in 2014 and put it on him a little bit. And that really kind of got us going in 2014 uh, with Ryan Mount. Of course, the next week, 
didn't play so well. Ryan got injured. He was out for the year. Went back to Fitzy. He had a record-setting day against the Tennessee Titans. Then got hurt against the Colts. So 2014 is eh, kind of an interesting year on so many different levels. But that was the day J.J. Watt caught his very first wide receiver touchdown in a regular season game. I think he lined up a wide receiver in a Pro Bowl at one point, I think, which is kind of scary. But, yeah, they stuck a linebacker on him. We actually didn't have bad coverage. Mount made a great throw. J.J. made a great catch. Uh, and that is history. And I remember that so well because every day I walked into the media workroom, I would see that picture of J.J. making that catch. It was just uh, absolutely incredible to think that guy could do that out at wide receiver. So, that all being said, let's dive into the show and start with Hot Reads presented to you by Geico. And Geico obviously has some good news for you, and that is they can save you 15% on your car insurance, and all they need is 15 minutes of your time. That's it. That's it for Geico with our hot reads. Now, our first hot read is a little Texans audio jukebox, and we will start with the aforementioned J.J. Watt. Going to Cleveland, I always, I, that's, that's from now on, we go to Cleveland, that's what I'm going to remember. That was my first year down on the sidelines. And that was such a, a great win. I remember getting on a plane on the way home, and it was just, it was nuts. It was just crazy on the way home. And I thought, this is the way it should be a lot of the time. There's no question about that. Now, JJ was asked about that TD catch. So let's start our Texans audio jukebox with a little JJ Watt talking about that touchdown catch. It was a good throw. I mean, Mallet put the ball in, in the only place that I could catch it. Uh, it was either going to be I caught it or it went out of bounds. I remember catching the ball and dropping the knee down to try and get it inbounds and obviously looking up at the ref and waiting for him to signal touchdown. It was great. But the thing I remember most about that game was my two roughing the punter penalties. Um, and I knew that I had to do something big in that game to uh, help sway the, the game in our favor because I, I took two fourth down stops away from our team. Uh, I thought for sure I was going to block each of those punts. I had to be like an inch away. But uh, so the strip sack and the touchdown were kind of my way to pay back the team for two roughing the the punter penalties. One of the funniest things I have ever seen on a football field was after J.J. had that second 15-yard penalty. He's standing on the sidelines. He's got his hands on his hips. And he can't bring himself to look at Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien's down the way like 10 yards away. And he really can't bring himself to get mad at J.J. because J.J.'s done so much. And so they both kind of stood apart from one another. Finally, (laughs) Coach O'Brien looked down and was like, I kind of waved him back in the game. J.J. went in the game, got that strip sack fumble to go along with that touchdown. But I'll never forget that scene, just watching both of them, like, knowing, J.J., knowing he messed up and like, I know, I know. And Bill O'Brien going, God dang it, I can't believe it twice in a row. But he knew. He couldn't get mad at him because of all that J.J. meant to him in 2014. So it was just kind of a funny scene that I remember also uh, in, in that game. And I'm glad J.J. talked about that because that was pretty interesting. Now, J.J.'s opposite number in this game is Miles Garrett. Many of you around the area are Aggies. You love yourselves. So Miles Garrett. And, well, that's you know, to be expected and warranted with the year that he's having. He's got nine sacks through eight games He's done a whale of a job. I think he's got like 13 or 14 tackles for a loss. J.J. was asked about what he sees in his opposite number, Miles Garrett. 
he's obviously having a great year so far. Um, hopefully he doesn't have a good game on Saturday, on Sunday. Um, that's the goal for us, obviously. But guy's a hell of a player. Um, he's got speed. He's got quickness. You know, he can power. So uh, he's got all the tools you need, and he's obviously playing at an extremely high level. So um, I think he's doing a great job. Now, Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt are not going to meet up. So sometimes when you ask a defensive player about another defensive player, it's like, I guess he's been good. But you're not really focused on him. You're focused on facing the other side. And the other side of the ball features former first-rounder, former overall number one pick, Baker Mayfield. And he's done a pretty good job this year. He's had a good season. And J.J. was able to talk about that and the kind of season that Mayfield's having. I think he's a guy who can make the throws. He can also move around. Um, He's effective in scramble situations. He can improvise very well. He can run for first downs if he has to, but he also um, can stay in the pocket, find the open man, deliver the ball. Um, He's got the arm to make all the throws. So um, I think he's doing a good job. He's settling in, and uh, I think he's playing well. One thing about Baker Mayfield this year, though, is very similar to what he showed in 2018 when we played him in that game, in the game. In the first half, he threw three interceptions and like 46 yards of passing. In the second half, he had no interceptions and like 351 yards passing. That was in one game. It was, I mean, and he's a, he was a rookie, so I understand. He's still a young quarterback, only in his third year. But that inconsistency really kind of shows itself. Against the Bengals, Mayfield lit them up for five touchdowns and somewhere well over 300 yards. Against the Raiders, 122 yards passing. Now, He did lose OBJ in that Bengals game, but it was early in that game. So they've been without OBJ for a little bit, and and Baker's still kind of up and down. I'm hoping we don't get the up Baker after a bye week, but I'm afraid that's what we will see. Thing is, if you add an up Baker with the ground game the Browns have, that could be very, very lethal. And JJ talked about the Browns running game, which is one of the best in the league. They have a lot of success running the ball. Um, those guys are very good backs. The offensive line does a good job blocking for them. Um, they have Baker, who obviously can throw the ball and, and play action off of what they do in the running game. So they're very effective. And uh, that's up to us up front, uh, first and foremost, as the front line of defense to do our job, to set the edges, to build the wall in the middle. Um, the backers obviously just come up and make tackles and everybody doing their job to try and do whatever we can to, to be successful on Sunday. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It's, I don't say it's easy, but being gap discipline and tackling with shoulders, arms, hands to wrap up is going to be as key this week as it's ever been. These backs, Kareem Hunt and potentially Nick Chubb, we don't know yet whether he's going to, uh, whether he's going to play. Kevin Stefanski said on Friday they would make the declaration whether Nick Chubb would play. He's coming off of IR, so they've Done just like a few of our guys, Kyle Waring and A.J. Moore. They're back at practice, but they haven't been activated back to the 53-man roster. That same thing is kind of going on with Nick Chubb, and the Browns are evaluating. Either way, Kareem Hunt can hold his own. But if it's Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, oy, that is, oh, that's a boatload. All right, let's hear from Romeo Cronell, who went to the mic this morning. Now, you know as well as I do, Romeo Cronell was formerly the head coach for the Cleveland Browns. So that's going to be a storyline. He's going to be asked about it. And of course, he was. He was asked today about his time in Cleveland. And here's what Rack had to say about that time when he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Well, I was there uh, two different occasions. I was uh, there in what it was 2000 as defensive coordinator and then came back as head coach. Uh, and, and 
I enjoy Cleveland. Um, I, I mean, we are, we won 10 games and that's probably the one that stands out the most. We won 10 games and really should have made the playoffs that year, but we lost to Cincinnati in Cincinnati in a bad weather game uh, that kept us out and we were still in it in the tiebreaker, but uh, you had to depend on other people to, to do things and you had no control over it. So then uh, we lost out on the tiebreaker, but winning 10 games uh, and the Cleveland crowd and, and the fans there, uh, that year was pretty, pretty special. I told you a little while ago that I was on a Cleveland television station. And of course they wanted to ask me about Romeo Cornell. That was what they wanted to know about. And of course, you know, how's Deshaun Watson doing? He could have been a Brown. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely been a storyline. Uh, this week about Deshaun Watson potentially being a Brown, but they also had their opportunities to get other quarterbacks. But I think with Baker, we'll see how it plays out. He's had some good moments, and I think he'll continue to have some very good moments as a Browns quarterback. But this will be a big storyline for the rest of the week. Romeo Cornell going back to Cleveland where he was head coach. He also was position coach, as he stated. But whenever you go back, it's obviously you're going to have some memories of some time that uh, that you were there, etc. But um, Romeo was also asked this morning about the Browns making progress. Now, in 17-18, in 17, I don't think they won a game, if I remember correctly, or they were 1-15. One or the other, they were 0-16, 1-15. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then they got better with Baker in 2018. This team is probably that much better. And Rack talked about what he has seen from the Browns and the fact that he thinks they have made a lot of progress. Well, it looks like that they've made a lot of progress, you know, to be five and three, because uh, they, they started out pretty good. Uh, and everybody, this league is a tough league for everybody, uh, but they're in the hunt. They put themselves in the hunt. So, you know, we got the last half of the season to play, and, and we'll see how they, they come out at the last half. You know, uh, everybody wants to, to finish strong, start strong, but a lot of times in the NFL is how you finish. And I've seen it occur both ways. I've seen guys win the first half of the season, and then all of a sudden the bottom drops out. I've seen guys lose the first half of the season and then get on a roll uh, on the second half. So, you know, that old adage about playing them one game at a time and see what happens. And so I, I think that that's what they're doing. But they got a quarterback. They've got uh, a, a good supporting cast around the quarterback. They've got uh, some defense. So uh, I think that they're headed in the right direction. You know, with Andrew Barry as general manager, I think the youngest still in the league, and then Kevin Stefanski as head coach. I think the Browns have got a nice little formula. They've added on top of the talent that was already there. And I think they've got to get some more defensive pieces. But with Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, they've got two of the better pieces in the league at edge rusher and corner offensive line they've built up by going and getting Jack Conklin drafting Jedrick Wills already had Joel Batonio they got the quarterback uh, they've got some weapons so the Browns are definitely moving uh, in the right direction there is no no question uh, about that now what makes Cleveland really tough to stop as I just mentioned is the fact that they can run it and then Baker can put it in the belly. You think it's run because they've been so good running it. Pull it out, and now it's play action. One of the better play action teams in the league, and Rack talked about what makes it so successful. The running backs, because if they can run the ball, and, you know, they, when, when Chubb was up, they had a good combination of, of Hunt and Chubb. Mm -hmm. uh, 
then when Chubb went down, uh, Hunt took the load, okay? And he runs very hard. He's very determined. He gains yards that are not there, okay? So when you have a running game, linebackers have to honor the run on any run fake. So that sucks them toward the line of scrimmage, which then creates space behind them in that middle, middle area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so when you can suck those linebackers up and then get a crossing route in behind them or somebody to hook up in behind them, then you can deliver the ball there. You can make yards, get first downs, and keep the sticks moving. And mm-hmm. so I think the running game makes the play action. All right, it's pretty good Texas audio jukebox with J.J. Watt and Romeo Cornell. Let's get to our last hot read, and that is going to be the Wednesday injury report. Now, this one to me is always, I think, a lot more important than maybe it seems because you get an idea of how guys came out of the game on Sunday. And so I was worried about a few guys, but luckily I don't see them on here, so that's a good thing. But the Texans did have a quartet of guys not practice david johnson snail calamete coming back from those concussions dylan cole dealing with a back and charles amena who got hurt during the game still dealing with that hamstring those four did not participate but everybody else was in practice no limited no fulls that was great news now on the brown side they're coming off a bye week so they did not have any dmps but some of the limited offensive linemen Joel Batonio, elbow, Jack Conklin, knee, Wyatt Teller, calf, J.C. Treader, knee. That's four of five offensive line starters. The only one not in that group is Jedrick Wills. Full participants, Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, and Sione Takitaki. Uh, I love that name, uh, Sione Takitaki. If, I wish he started and played a little bit more, so Mark would have to say that on Sunday because um, he would have a bunch of tackles tackling Duke Johnson uh, and David Johnson. Hopefully David's going to play, but we'll see. But David right now uh, did not participate Uh, deal with that concussion as was the case for Sunil Kelamete. All right, when we get back, we're going to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu, Nathan Segura, Browns Radio. He's got the skinny on the Browns. We'll have that next right here in Texas All Access. This is Whitney Merciless, and you're listening to Texans Radio. Don't touch that dial or else. Teachers and parents, are you looking for an educational resource to keep your students engaged? The Houston Texans Toro and ConocoPhillips have partnered together to provide Toro's Math Drills. Toro's Math Drills is a free video series that will challenge your students to math topics like fractions, multiplication, division, and place value, all while having fun. Sign up today for free at HoustonTexans.com on the Kids School Program page and run your students through Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Go Texans! What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to Wednesday night edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter and a former teacher. And I know that all you teachers out there could always use a little bit of help. I'm calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little fun to your classroom? A little Texans football to your classroom? Then I need you to sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, I may have said this before, but someone I think would make a tremendous teacher 
is DP Sidhu. Well, she's great at her job too, so I don't want her to be a teacher. I love what she does when she, especially when she goes behind enemy sidelines. And this week, she goes behind enemy sidelines with Nathan Zagura of Browns Radio. DP. This week on Enemy Sidelines, presented by Microsoft Teams, our guest is Nathan Zagura. He does it all for the Cleveland Browns. He hosts the Browns Daily Monday through Friday, 52 weeks a year. It's so impressive. Nathan, welcome. And it's been a few years since we spoke, but uh, here the Browns are, five and three, heading into week 10. I imagine the mood in Cleveland's got to be quite good these days. Yeah, absolutely. We're off to a good start. First of all, it's great to talk with you again. And in recent history, since the Deshaun Watson has come down to the Texans, the Browns have not had much success against your team. So hopefully that will change. We need it this week. But yeah, five and three going into the bye week and certainly feeling feeling good. You would have liked to get that game against the Raiders. Obviously, direct competition for that final wild card spot or the final two wild card spots in the AFC. But you know, five and three, getting healthy at the right time. Nick Chubb, Wyatt Teller, Austin Hooper, all returning to practice uh, on Monday. So they should be back and good to go against the Texans. But yeah, it's just nice. Kevin Stefanski, I think he's just brought in a kind of what I would call, he's a smooth operator. He's brought in a sense of calm, a brand of football, a style of offense, a style of, you know, Cleveland Browns football. We got went back to our traditional uniforms, which I think look very sharp. So it's been an excellent start to things here at, at five and three. Well, the last time the Texans and the Browns played each other, Baker Mayfield was just a, a mere rookie. And here he is in, in year three. He's undergone all those coaching changes, like you said. Where have you seen the most growth from him this year? Well, so far, it's just taking care of the football. You know, 15 touchdowns, seven interceptions, so better than a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. Uh, that was a big problem last year as he threw more than 20 interceptions. So that has been, I would say, the biggest part of his growth. And he's in an offense that's going to stress – you know what he does well, play action, the play action bootlegs, getting him out of the pocket. He's been very effective on those types of plays. And, you know, while some people would say the Browns have been certainly a run first team, and that would be true in the one game where he had to do it through the air. He turned in his best performance against Cincinnati in a duel, a shootout with Joe Burrow. At one point, he completed 21 straight passes, which was a Browns franchise record. In fact, the streak was only snapped when they had to clock the ball on that final drive with no timeouts throws five touchdowns in that game. So yeah, you had to do it. You had to throw it. And he did that. So I thought that was a big game just for his development and the confidence that the team has in him, but really it's been taking care of the football and he's been phenomenal in the red zone. Really. We've been an excellent red zone offense this season. One of the most efficient teams in the red zone in terms of converting, you know, threes into sevens and Baker has been a big part of that. Well, just a few weeks ago, it seems like he got banged up in that game against Pittsburgh, and we saw a familiar face in Case Keenum come in in relief, and then, and then Baker bounced back the next week and had one of his best performances of the year. What do you attribute the fact that he's able to just bounce back um, just so, so differently than he, than he did maybe as a rookie or, or even last year? Well, I think part of it is just his comfort in the system is growing. And that's the thing. Remember, the Browns had put in a new co head coach, new offensive coordinator, new offensive system in 2020's offseason. And as you know, for the Texans, you just didn't have a lot of time to go through and learn something new. And so for the Browns, I think they were behind a little bit. But now it's an offense that suits him very well, suits his skill set. It's an offense that lends itself to efficiency at the quarterback position. And so I think he trusts in the system. He knows that his head coach, Kevin Stefanski, the play caller as well, is going to put him in good positions to succeed. He likes the guys that we have on the team. Obviously, we still wish we had Odell Beckham Jr., just like I'm sure you guys still wish you had DeAndre Hopkins there in Houston, albeit for different reasons. They are not 
lot available to our respective teams. Um, but I just think it's kind of, you know, he's settling in. Here he is with some stability. I think, as I said, a clearly defined kind of brand of football that the Browns are playing and a head coach who is never going to get too high or too low. And I think that's good for a guy because Baker's so emotional and fiery. And to have a head coach that's, you know, as we said, smooth operator, steady Eddie, I think has been very, very good for his development and just his demeanor and his success. And this team, it's not just Baker bouncing back. The Browns haven't lost consecutive games all year. They followed up each of their first two losses to Baltimore and to Pittsburgh with wins the following week. And they're going to try to do that again this Sunday against the Texans. Well, you mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, that was the big storyline when he tours ACL. He's out for the year, unfortunately, top target for um, for Baker Mayfield and, and the Browns is out now. So who steps up in his place? He's not easily replaceable. You got Jarvis Landry. Is it is it him? Is it a mix of more run game? How do you make up the loss of, of OBJ? I think it's a, a little bit of all of the above. There isn't one guy on this roster. And I think you looked at the trade deadline. Were they going to bring in a vertical threat? And, and this offense, it needs that vertical aspect to it. So if you're looking at the guys that, that maybe can step in and fill that role, Jarvis is still going to be Jarvis. He's leading your team. He's got the 33 catches, 419 yards so far this season. You know, you're going to get more involved with your tight ends. Austin Hooper, who's back after missing two games after the emergency appendectomy. You've got Harrison Bryant, a rookie who's played well at tight end. You've got David Ajoku. But in that receiver room, you know, Hollywood Higgins, more of a possession guy. Donovan Peoples-Jones is more of a big body contested catch guy. In terms of taking the top off of defense, there are two guys, Kaderil Hodge, who's kind of a long strider, a former, former special teams ace last year, four catches, averaged 19 yards a catch. This year, he you know hasn't been too involved. He missed some time with a hamstring, but he's still three catches, 51, 17 yards a catch. So he can get down the field. But then there's a guy that the Texans are probably familiar with from his time with the Titans, Taewon Taylor, who was a former third-round pick of the Titans a few years ago, had nearly 500 yards two seasons ago. And he's a vertical type of a guy. I think the Browns will incorporate Taewon Taylor more and more as this season goes on and try to have him kind of stretch the field or at least run some of the routes because he will command the respect due to his speed that you had Odell run in certain situations. Well, I remember a few years ago when the Browns signed Kareem Hunt, there was so much controversy surrounding him, but he's quietly put together a really good campaign in 2020. Three rushing touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. It seems like, the Browns have incorporated him in a lot of different ways. How has he really helped uh, elevate that offense? He's a stud and he runs so hard and so physically. And now that we get Nick Chubb back and we'll talk about that tandem in a second, he has been so good, especially in the red zone. And that's where you can create some mismatches with him. He's such a good pass catcher and that's where his touchdowns come in the red zone. So he has just been kind of, he's great in, in pass protection he runs it very well in between the tackles or getting outside. And as I said, he's a mismatch waiting to happen in the passing game. So you think about the efficiency that he's shown there. Uh, as I said, those four touchdowns, it's just another weapon for Baker down there. And then now we get Nick Chubb back and it's almost like he's a forgotten guy, but Nick Chubb, second leading rusher in the NFL two years or last season, I'm sorry. And then this year he only played four games. He was averaging 5.9 yards per carry, four rushing touchdowns in those four games, 339 yards rushing. And really, it was really three games in a quarter. He went out early against the Dallas Cowboys. So getting him back, Yes, what this team is, what's its identity? It's running the football. When Nick Chubb went out after week four, Browns were the number one rushing offense in the NFL. They have not been since he has been out. And getting that one-two punch is huge because if the Browns get a lead, what they were doing is they would wear you down with Nick Chubb. And then the fourth quarter, Kareem Hunt would come in fresh 
and it was almost unfair. You know, there were a couple of games where he averaged eight yards a carry in the fourth quarter because he came in fresh and was just running all over defenses that were worn out. So the Browns are going to be able to get back to that. And that's something that has been missing. And really Wyatt Teller was, you know, I think pro football focuses number one graded offensive lineman. He was the number three overall graded player in the league when he went down with his injury. So getting him back, getting Chubb back and then Austin Hooper, who I think is really an unsung guy for what his contributions are in the run game. It's going to be massive. And the Browns are going to try to get back to their identity, which is running the ball. Because frankly, when you take on this Texans team and Deshaun's playing so well, Will Fuller six straight games with a touchdown. Cooks has a touchdown in three of the last four and is averaging almost, you know, 90 yards a game during that stretch. I think our best defense and that our defense has struggled is going to be ball control on offense, running it and wearing down this Texans team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's switch gears and talk about defense for a minute for the Browns. Our next gen stat presented by AWS has Miles Garrett tied for a sack leader in the NFL. He's got nine along with Aaron Donald. So what about that Browns front? It seems like between him and um, uh, Sheldon Richardson, that that Browns front is, is pretty hard to stop. It's a very good front. They had been a very good run defense all year. And I know the Texans really are, are not doing much running the ball so far this season, but they've been an excellent run defense this year, other than the Raiders game, which was in very, very strange weather conditions. Um, but Miles is, is all world. I mean, Miles is making a case, I think, for MVP, not just defensive player of the year. Nine sacks that you mentioned, four sack fumbles. He's already had four turnovers on sack strip fumbles, and the Browns are 4-0 in those games. He has seven, according to Next Gen Stats. I love that you quoted them, because he has four, seven turnovers as a direct result of his pressures already this season. And to put that in perspective, the leader in that category a year ago for the full season had six. So he's done seven in eight games. He's playing. He's unbelievable. He gets a lot of attention. We've been banged up, though. Olivier Vernon's been banged up. He finally got healthy, had two sacks last week. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Uh, veteran Adrian Claiborne had two sacks in the first two games, but he got hurt and hasn't really been healthy either. So they should be healthy coming off the bye. And yeah, when you have to double and triple miles, it sets up a lot of one-on-ones for Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, and Claiborne and Vernon. The Browns need those guys to win them because when teams have had time to throw, our corners have been very good. Denzel Ward and Terrence Mitchell and Kevin Johnson in the slot who started his career with the Texans. That trio has been good. Our strong safety, Ronnie Harrison, came over from the Jags, a young player. He's been good. Free safety linebackers have been a real problem, and the Browns have not been able to get off of the field on third down. They've allowed 61 conversions on third and fourth down combined. In fact, they've allowed 13 fourth down conversions on 14 tries this year. And so that's been a problem. And I can tell you in the bye week, that was the number one focus of the self-scouting that they did was how do we get better at getting off the field? And you mentioned it can start up front with those guys. But the Browns strategy in some ways has been Miles is going to do something awesome. Let's make you run as many plays as possible. They don't really let the ball go over their head. They haven't given up many big plays vertically, only two pass plays over 40 yards, which I know has been a staple of what the Texans have done with Fuller and Cooks. And they had big touchdowns just last week, the pair of them. They're going to try to, to make it really work to get the ball down the field and hope Miles makes a play or they take the ball away. The Browns had 14 takeaways in their first eight games, which at the time was the leader in the NFL in that category. Well, I was going to ask you about the bye week, what the top storylines are, but it sounds like the Browns are really focused on getting healthy. They get a lot of playmakers back this week. Uh, what are some of the other big storylines you're working on as, as these two teams face off on Sunday? 
Yeah, you know, you're right. It's getting your guys back on offense. It was kind of taking a look at Miles Garrett. He got banged up against the Raiders and, and certainly did not look like himself finishing, but he was good to go. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, it's the defense, right? This team, and what's funny is the Browns offense, five games, they've scored 30 or more points. Three games, they've scored less than 10. So they have been feast or famine offensively. No games in the teens, no games in the 20s, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. So it's smoothing that out on offense. But I think really the focus is defensively, we have got to get off the field on those money downs. Well, looking forward to a fun matchup watching Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield sling it out. I really personally enjoy all the Baker Mayfield commercials. We sometimes joke that there's, is there, maybe there's just not enough. It just, I'm totally joking. There's plenty of Baker Mayfield commercials. There are plenty. We just want more wins, as many wins as there are commercials. And I think that's the way that it's trending <laughs> and it's great. There, and, and he has, by the way, he has fun with those. They let him kind of ad lib and it's been fun seeing Jedrick Wills get involved in those. And so, yeah, I think this year's version have been, they really have been good commercials. And I think they're always even better when you're watching, knowing that the Browns have won. So you've had your good run. Browns need to get this one on Sunday. I disagree, Nathan. The Texans need to get this one on Sunday. I understand the Browns really would like to have this one, get the six and three and really put themselves in position to be one of the top seven or even eight teams in the AFC. But the Texans need to win this one on the road against a team with a winning record, something they've not done. Actually, they haven't beaten a team not named the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Texans need to have this one as well on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. But great stuff. Nathan Zagura. I really like when DP gets him on the show. He is fantastic. Does a great job for Browns Radio, for Browns Daily. He is an excellent, excellent host um, and definitely knows his stuff. And look, there's one, there's something to be said for somebody who knows his stuff, but then also can bring it to the masses. And I try and master that as much as I possibly can. And I struggle at it. Nathan Zagura does not, man. He is really, really good and a fun listener. There's no question about that. All right, when we get back, it's time to bring on my brosive, Drew Doherty and Drew's Dozen. Yeah, 12 questions with linebacker Terrell Adams. That's next right here on Texans All Access. Touchdown! Texans Radio continues in a moment. October's Houston Texans Star of Courage Award presented by Apache will be presented to EMS Jaime Larea. Lorea has been an EMS for approximately six years throughout the Houston area. Recently, Lorea enlisted in the Texas Army National Guard as a 68W Army medic. He's now working full-time as an Army medic and is deploying overseas this month. The Houston Texans and Apache would like to congratulate him for being our October Star of Courage Award winner. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by AWS. Behind every incredible play are thousands of data points you might otherwise miss, such as a player's speed, field location, and movement patterns. The NFL uses AWS to process this large and complex data in real time. It's called Next Gen Stats, and with AWS machine learning and artificial intelligence technology, the NFL has developed ways to uncover deeper insights and expand the fan experience by offering a broader range of advanced stats and visualizations. Visit nextgenstats.nfl.com for all things stats. Next Gen Stats, powered by AWS. Now here's the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? 
Extra Points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to this wonderful Wednesday evening edition of Texans All Access. And by wonderful, oh my goodness. If you were not outside at some point today, if you're not outside right now, maybe getting a walk-in, maybe hanging out with the family, and you just have me in your ears, that's perfect. That's what you need. You need me in your ears while you're out enjoying this weather because it's absolutely perfect. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and it's time for our next-gen stat powered by AWS. Now, I have said this often. I think watching Will Fuller run with the football is as exciting as anything that happens in a football game. So in week nine, because I know he was motoring, but here's the thing. I actually think Will hit top speed earlier in the game And it's something I'll bring up with Mark Vandermeer a little while later. I thought he was actually running faster on that play, but he didn't get the ball on that play. He got the ball in the 77-yard reception. He was third fastest in all of week nine. And he was just a shade behind Dalvin Cook for number two. Will Fuller ran 20.88 miles per hour on that 77-yard reception. That was 30 NFL. Curtis Samuel was number one uh, on a 14-yard reception TD. He was at 21.5 miles an hour. Dalvin Cook, on the 70-yard touchdown run he had against the Lions, he went 20.9 miles an hour. And Will was just a shade behind that at 20.88 miles per hour. So if you're using significant figures, which you should, then Will is actually tied with Dalvin Cook. But either way, 20.88 miles per hour. I want you to get in your car at some point and try and put it on 21 miles an hour and realize that's how fast Will ran to get away from the Jaguars on the field. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. When you're going 20-something miles an hour and you're like, oh my God, he went this fast? Yeah, he went that that fast. That's pretty amazing. That's our next-gen stat powered by AWS. Now, A, it's for AWS, A is also for Adams, as in Terrell Adams. D is Drew as in Doherty, as in Dozen. It's time for Drew's Dozen right up here on Texans All Access with Terrell Adams, one of the more interesting guys on this team. We've had the chance to interview him over the years. He's been one of the more fun interviews that I've done since I've been with the Texans. And I know that Drew's Dozen is going to be fantastic with Terrell Adams. So I'm going to stop flapping my gums and let Drew take the floor. Oh, this is going to be a fun one because I've been looking forward to having Tyrell Adams, inside linebacker, on Drew's Dozen. We're going to ask him 12 questions, and we start with this. How come many of your teammates say you're the funniest Texan on the squad? (laughs) It's partly because I'm very goofy, so I do some very goofy things at times. And honestly, it's because of my social media. On social media, I say some pretty funny stuff. I'm always acting out. Just being myself, like making goofy comments. It's just me, period. I just like to enjoy life and be goofy. I'm really prideful on keeping your youth. So a part of that is being goofy at all times. So you're goofy at all times. How about on the rest of the squad? Who makes you laugh? Oh, that's an easy one. Dylan Cole. Dylan Cole is hilarious. If you follow him on Twitter, (laughs) he is the funniest person ever because his comments be hilarious on other people's stuff. He always comment on teammates' stuff. Coming in on just like anything, and it's so funny and random, but it'd be hilarious. All right. Which planet would you visit 
and why? Which planet would I visit? Oh, that's a good one. And you're going to be safe, you know, no matter which way, you, you know, like you'll be protected from heat, from cold, from pressure, et cetera, et cetera. All things being equal, which one would you like to see most? Hmm. Probably Saturn. Okay. I'm going to Saturn. You're the, I've asked this question of three of you now, and you're the second guy to have said Saturn. Uh, you also had a teammate, uh, Eric Murray. He said uh, Mercury. So Saturn's a good one. Is it because of the rings, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to see the rings. I want to see the rings. All right. So I understand you have children or a daughter. Or... Yeah, I got a daughter. All right. How old is your daughter? Five. Five. All right. What's the most challenging part of being a dad? Uh, probably the patience. Um, <laughs> I know for sure she ch tests my patience a lot now. And with her growing and getting so smart now, we were literally just on the phone. And she's kind of like learning how to like send me messages from my iPad. Not complete sentences, but just mm -hmm. emojis. So she'll send me emojis and pictures, and then this is hilarious, like, how she'll randomly send me someone. She'll just call me, like, in the middle of a meeting. And I feel like, until I, I have to call you back, I'm in a meeting right now. Or it's, just, it's, just, it's just being patient with her, just watching her grow. That's probably the most challenging part. I like it. What's, uh, what's the emoji you use most often with her? I said a kissy face, and she always like, why are you kissing me all the time? I just <laughs> like kissing you. Is it the regular little kissy face, or is it the unicorn kissy face? Because there's options, right? Unicorn kissy face. All right, cool. I use that too with my wife. So that's yeah. good. And we've got four kids. If they used emojis, I'd probably use that with them. Uh, okay. What movie or show of hers that she watches do you enjoy the most? Oh, Hotel Transylvania. We really? both enjoy that movie. Pretty good? Yeah. She watches all three of them. I love them too. I love Hotel Transylvania. I'm going to have to check that out. All right. That's, uh, that's going to be put into the rotation. Um, what's the last thing that you cooked? The last thing I cook, you really want to know? I do. <laughs> I cook some ramen noodles All Sunday right. after the game. <laughs> Not that, so that was your post-victory meal, huh? Post-victory meal. I posted it on Instagram. That was my post-victory meal. Some ramen noodles. I don't know why I was craving ramen noodles, but I was. All right. That brings up – this just opens up a can of worms. It's multifaceted when I hear this. Do you do them with, like, the hot water that you put and you just cover for three minutes, or do you do it in the – the uh, the saucepan on the stove, or do you micro? How yeah. do you make, how do you make yours? So I do them on the saucepan on the stove. Okay. Boil the water, then throw them in there. And they Old cook school. for like a couple minutes, and then it's challenge time. Okay. And what's the flavor you go with? I go with chicken every time. I can't go anywhere else but chicken. You don't like the uh, spicy lime shrimp? No. Uh huh. I gotta stick to chicken. I don't know why. I can't. And I had this debate also. It's literally one pack. Is not enough, but two packs is too much. So yeah. I don't, I can never, it's weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a pack and a third, I think would, pack and a yeah. third to a pack and a half is like the, the happy medium, yeah. Exactly, but see, growing up how I grew up, my mom, you ain't you ain't taking a third of a pack. No, no. You can't waste you better, another two thirds. You better not waste any, that's right, why <laughs> not. Okay, if you had a magical power, which magical power would you want to have? Oh, what magical power? Probably the ability to disappear. So disappear or just be invisible? Be invisible. Be invisible. Be invisible. Okay. All right. Uh, the favorite thing. What's the favorite thing for you to get complimented on? Whether it's football or whether it's just you know something in your personal life. From my dance moves when I'm dancing. I'm a dancer, so. <laughs> what sort of stuff do you dance to? 
it doesn't matter. Like as long as the the song has a good beat and it's real vibey, I'm gonna get jiggy to it. So were you dancing when you were just like a little kid in the living room? I mean, were you just yeah? All- I was even through high school. I was a big dancer. I was always somewhere dancing. Like if a song played and I liked it, I'm gonna be moving and grooving for sure. So I know you have. So th- that that must mean you know what your touchdown celebration dance will be when I know what it's gonna be. What is it? What would you do? <laughs> this is this is this is funny dance of um I can't think of the show, but it's like when you bend down and you pop your knee. It's it's hilarious. What well, trust me. When I do it, you'll know. All right. Well, do me a favor. Score a few touchdowns for us so we can see this dance. That, that cool with you? Exactly. All right. That's all I got to do. I wholly, uh, I wholly uh, back that. Okay. What, uh, what is the perfect Thanksgiving plate? So when you go perfect through the line, plate. what's on it? What's on it? Ooh. All right. So first, we got to have some turkey. What type? Uh, I like my turkey fried. Fried. Good choice. Deep fried turkey. I, I hadn't had it till last year and literally changed my life. Yep. So some turkey. You got to have a like a slice or two of ham on there. Uh-huh. Um, some mac and cheese, some collard greens, some yams. I'm not a really big stuffing guy, so no stuffing. It's too mushy. Um, let's see what else. I like, I like, I like lima beans. Okay, that's different. And, and some cornbread. Cornbread. What, what about for dessert? Dessert, we have in... Sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie, nothing else? Sweet potato pie. Fair enough. I like it. Okay, last one. Would you rather be a dragon or own a dragon? Own a dragon for sure. Okay. You're not about uh, – you're, you're fine being a human. No question. I want to own a dragon. Terrell Adams has played some excellent football for this team since stepping in for Bernardrick McKinney. And he does great interviews with Drew Doherty too. I wish I could be that good with interviews with Drew Doherty. Well, our podcast will be a little bit later in the show. But coming up next, Mark Vandermeer stops by. We talk about going to Cleveland for the first time in six years. That's next on Texans All Access. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Today tastes like game day at home. Like assigned couch seating. (laughs) Tastes like coffee table dining. And an ice cold Coke to cool down the heat. It tastes like the game you've waited for all week with friends you've known your whole life. (laughs) Today, tastes like watching football is supposed to. And it never tasted this good. Coca-Cola. Together tastes better. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show. Here's the snap. Looking, flips the ball, diving for the pylon, and he's got it! Razzle-dazzle! Touchdown, Houston! And the Texans go in front! Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy, and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do! Now, it's Texans All-Access. 
Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, and I am joined now. It's the only time outside of Monday that Mark Vandermeer and I get to sit down and wax poetic about the future, as in Sunday at Cleveland, Mm -hmm. and he joins me now. Mark, good evening. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Johnny. You know, I wrote a piece for HoustonTexans.com on the Daily Brew about uh, the last time we were in Cleveland, the first time we were in Cleveland in 02, mm. and David Carr and Tim Couch went at it, oh, and wow. Butch Davis coaching the Browns, <laughs> and the Browns won big. And, you know, all these memories were coming back to me. Yeah. I went into the Cleveland locker room after the game, and Butch was really praising the McNairs big time because, you know, he flew to Houston, was really interested in the Texans job yeah. uh, when he was uh, still at the University of Miami. And how, and I had to say in the article because, you know, kids, kids, young people today don't understand that these are the new Browns. Like they came yeah. back into the league in 1999. And can you imagine the pain of a Cleveland fan seeing the Browns move to Baltimore, become the Ravens, and win two Super Bowls and have an outstanding organization yeah. with Ozzie Newsome? My gosh, like it could not have gone worse for them that they haven't been to the playoffs since the Texans' first season, and their best season win total-wise was Romeo in 2007, but they actually missed the playoffs that year. It's been a tough road in Cleveland. You know, the last time we were in Cleveland, that was my first year, 2014, which you know well, there, was, there were a lot of storylines in that game. And I mentioned this one earlier. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but we all know about J.J. Watt's fade route touchdown yeah but he said it today in his press conference and it reminded me he had not one but two 15 yard roughing the punter yeah. fouls in that game and it's one of the funniest things mark i've ever seen being down on the sidelines because here he is the greatest defensive player in the nfl and he's just created these two penalties and he's standing on the sideline his hands are on his hips and he's not really looking over at bill o'brien and Bill O'Brien is just miffed. You can just see it. Yeah. Like, not once, but twice. But he also, I can tell, he realizes he can't really get mad at the guy. The guy's just been carrying us this year. And so it's like these, these two just kind of standing like 10 yards apart. And finally, at some point, you see kind of the, the detente, if you will, just kind of breaks. And OB looks at him and is like, go back in. And he goes back in. He gets the strip sack later on. But watching the two of them – it just if they would have thought bubbles over their heads, it would have been oh, yeah. fantastic to listen to. But that was also the game that Ryan Mount started. And I know we've had some some great flights home after great wins, you know, 2015 Indianapolis, you know, beating Cincinnati on Monday night. I remember that Cleveland flight because not only did we get the win, JJ makes the catch. The Browns are six and three at the time. Yeah, that's, that's the what thing. a lot of people forget. And Johnny, gotta, is, is this the best they've been since then? I, I think, think it so. is. It it's is. the best they've been since the Texans were last there. And, you, you know, you, it's a great point because at the time, it was a big win because the Browns were having a really good season and Hoyer looked good that year. And it all unraveled after the Texans beat them with Ryan Mallett. Yeah. And that, I think, was the final thing was we've got a quarterback. We've got yeah, the guy. I know. We've got Ryan Mallett. He's our guy. So all of that was in all of our heads as we got on a plane. And I just remember um, our former assistant straight coach. Oh, no. Got on the, got on the mic and he, st- <laughs> he started doing, he started doing Randy Macho Man Savage. And the oh, yeah. Plane, the plane is just going crazy. And it was such joy. And then the next week, 
We bought him out against the Bengals. Mallet's hurt. And it was like just the complete total 180 from where we were coming back from that Cleveland game. Um, but then Fitzy went back in, and Fitzy did a good job after he got back in. But that Cleveland win, it's, it's, it's interesting because that's one of the ones that I remember a lot because of that, because the Browns were 6-3. and three. Mallet started. J.J. has the catch as a receiver. You know, we have a great win. And then, you know, the, the plane flight back was just the, – the excitement that people had on the plane was just really, really cool to see. That, that last one was, pre was pretty cool, no doubt. Well, and I remember going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the night before the game. I yeah, mean, that's Cleveland right. Really, I mean, I know it's COVID now, but and by the way, I did check. If anyone listening is going to Cleveland, maybe three people are, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is open, socially distanced, wear a mask, that kind of thing. And it makes sense because a museum, you can walk around and stay yeah. away from people, right? As long Very as true. it's not totally packed. Uh, but did you know, uh, the side note here, Johnny, among the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snubs, Pat Benatar is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can you believe that? How of is all Pat the Benatar who, not in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I mean, she was fantastic. And, you know, not only you – know, look, I hate to say, well, you know, being a female, but it's true. You know, it's, a, it's, a, man's, it's yeah. a man's sport in many ways. But, man, she rocked it. She's maybe the greatest female rock vocalist ever, her and, uh, and Wilson of Heart. So – She's got to be in. So that's my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame complaint of the day, and I could have one every day maybe. Okay. Pat Benatar, as a NFL football comparison, yep. it took Art Monk a lot of years to get in the NFL. And every time yeah. somebody brought up Art Monk, you thought, well, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Nope. Every other year you would think, he's, going to, he's in the Hall of Fame already. Oh, no, he's not. And then he finally gets in. At some point, you're going to appreciate the greatness of Pat Benatar. You have to. Yeah, yeah. It, it, look, it to. took Rush, the Doobie Brothers, a lot. You know, there are a lot of bands that have taken forever to get in. So I think that uh, eventually she gets in. And it's just like, you know, I hope we're not talking about Andre Johnson this way someday. Like, <laughs> Andre's got to get in, please, Lord. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, and look, we don't have that time to do that right now. It's an off-season show. But I think Andre will get in within two to three years of being eligible and it's possible that he's first time first ballot but i think within two to three years he gets and I, I believe anquan bolden who has a similar number of catches yeah. comes up when andre does uh but you know and look anquan you can make a case for him too and i'm not going to talk down about him but andre certainly deserves to be in it's funny how we've paired up a rock and roll hall of fame discussion <laughs> with the pro football hall of fame which is only about an hour's drive yeah. in Canton, Ohio, not far from Cleveland. And I'd love to go take Vanderkit on a trip to the, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. But, you know, you'd almost have to pair it up with a Texans game at the Browns or something, or maybe even Pittsburgh because that's probably not too yeah. far away. Because, you know, you're not going up there for anything else. There's nothing else up there. The Soapbox Derby, what's up there in Canton, Akron? Uh, well, you've got the department store that was right next to our hotel where they, where they um, filmed uh, A Christmas Story. They have that. There's oh yeah that's right they filmed that? a Christmas story in Cleveland and the big trivia item on that is that it wasn't snowing so they had to bring in all this fake snow <laughs> for the shoot and you know the kid's tongue was definitely not really stuck to the pole right. they had to fake that fake 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 that right, a lot of stuff don't ruin it because oh that, sorry I sorry I'm I love sorry. that Christmas movie yeah talking about Andre Johnson a little while ago Mark Will Fuller six games in a row with a touchdown yeah it's six incredible games in a row and you think about 
you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Andre Johnson, six games in a row, Will Fuller has had a receiving touchdown. And it would have been, would it have been seven? Had he caught one against Minnesota? I'm trying to remember if you'd have hung on to that one at the end. I can't remember if he had one before that. But either way, the way that Will Fuller has played has lately has just been, I mean, it's been phenomenal. I mean, what he yeah. has been able to do and come into his own. And I know, he, you know, the, the whole thing about the trade rumors and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I mean, that's tough to deal with. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the mm-hmm. way that he dealt with it was by going on the field and showing everybody, look, I can be this guy. Yep. I really can. And, Mark, I, I'm going to say this, and maybe it's just because, you know, we know Will and, and we've seen him, you know, grow up in this franchise. I don't really want to see him go. Look, I understand the business of football, like, yeah. and, you know, as much as anybody else. You do as well. I really think the way that he has grown when he is healthy and on the field, this offense is just completely different. Johnny, I, I, you know, I, this is contract stuff here. It's a contract year for him. I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. I think Sean and Seth were talking about a Robbie Anderson type deal. Maybe that yeah. would work, but Will's putting up better numbers than Robbie Anderson. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and he's showing you potential that uh, I have, I have so many different feelings about it. One of them is, Oh my gosh, all the time he lost really stunted his pro football growth, if you will. Imagine how much better he would be right now if he were healthy all this time because that many more reps and practice and everything. Because clearly, you know, not only – we always said if Will's healthy, he's really good. If Will's healthy consistently, he gets better as he goes. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and this offseason he took a quantum leap – in in the way he handles himself physically because that was very apparent from the first time we saw him on a zoom call it's like hey is something wrong with my zoom because will fuller looks really big yeah you know something yeah. wrong with my screen is this like is this putting on like five ten pounds of muscle on somebody but will looks stronger bigger we talked to tim kelly about it john johnny he's one of the best receivers in the league there's no question about it and i'm wondering continued continued health what does that produce in will are we going to see numbers that are really going to make your eyes pop out as the year goes on? I think it's funny because hurting him, and I'll put that in air quotes, hurting him, hurting him individually is also the fact that you do have Cooks and Cobb. You do have some good pass catchers on this team, right? There are other places to go with the football and the tight ends too. But Will, by the time, let's say he stays healthy for eight games or seven of the eight, the numbers are going to look really good at the end of the year. The number of touchdowns. What does he have on the year? Six right now? Yes. All right, so Andre Johnson's high watermark in a season is nine. Nine. If Will stays healthy, he's going to smash that and be behind Hopkins. And who knows, you know, if he goes really nuts, maybe he passes Hopkins all-time mark. This is fun to watch. I'm enjoying it. And I hope, like you, somehow you can keep Will Fuller. Mark, there was a third and three. And I remember this because Will was actually standing at the broadcast, you know, where they – they imposed the numbers uh, on, the, on the field in the little third and three graphic, and he was standing right on it. That's why I remember third and three. And Deshaun ended up throwing the ball to Jordan Akins, and Akins got the first down. But Will was lined up on the left-hand side, and he was going against Sidney Jones. And he, Sidney wasn't physically pressing him, but he was going to bail with him. And within three steps – Will is even with him. Within two more steps, Will is pulling away mm. and pulling away and pulling away. And Sidney Jones is a fast guy. I think he ran 4-4 four, four at the combine, and Will was pulling away, but Deshaun had already seen Akins and threw the ball to Akins. If he throws it out, you know, out wide to Will, he probably gets another one there. But what that play told me was Will is so fast that these defensive backs don't get it. 
they don't understand. Like they come up to press him or, and not physically press him. And they figure I'll just run with him. And then he runs right by him. And they're like, Oh my God, CJ Henderson had the same thing on the interference. He's out on will. And I, he had maybe been on him a little bit before that, but it was the first time that will just took off on him. And Henderson was like, yo, I got to catch up this guy. And that got him off balance. And that ended up being the, the pass interference. He gets on guys so fast that if they've never seen him before, they don't get it. And the yeah. fact that he's healthy, he's going to do that to a few guys this year. When he, they face him, they're like, look, I'm going to get right up on this dude. He's not going to be able to run by me. And within two steps, he's by them and you're toast. And luckily, Deshaun took advantage of that on the long 77-yarder to, to Will uh, and got him the football because Will got to a point where he was pushing CJ down the field. Henderson's off balance. He can go up and make the catch and take off. But he's come so far and he puts so much pressure on defensive backs and just we just need him to stay healthy. I mean, it's been the same yeah. story since 2016, but he's come so far from then to be this this really productive, explosive, number one type weapon. It's just been really fun to watch. Are you getting a shootout vibe from this weekend? Yes. Because the Browns, yes. oh my gosh, Johnny, they got a lot yes. of weapons. I, OBJ or no OBJ, they got a lot of places to go with the football. When, you know, yeah. with Chubb coming back and Hooper and Landry and oh boy, this is not going to be easy. I mean, this feels a lot like 42 36. Jeez. Tennessee. I mean, but I mean, when you think about it, they're, they're, they're similar and different, but. The Browns have the running game. Titans have running game. Mm -hmm. the, Titan, the Browns really improved that offensive line with the two tackles, one drafted, one a free agent. So the offensive line is, is much better. The Titans are – you know, the offensive line is really good. The Browns wide receivers, Jarvis Landry, one of the better ones in the league. A.J. Brown, one of the better receivers in the league. They're built very similarly. The offense they run is very similar. It's going to be very similar to playing the Titans. I just don't think mm -hmm. the Browns are as good defensively as the titans overall i think and you put browns up 36 run, yeah the yeah the browns the browns run defense is a little better but if you throw away from denzel ward i think you got an opportunity to put some up on the board but man you're talking about the browns with weapons they got austin hooper at tight end david and joku at tight end you got the rookie harrison mm. bryant at tight end mm. jarvis landry and then they've got potentially nick chubb coming back to go along with kareem hunt even if it's just kareem hunt yeah, well, with Chubb, it, with Chubb in the first four games, they led the league in rushing yeah. through four games. That's frightening to me. I don't want to hear that at all. I'm, more, I'm worried about their pass catchers. You know, yeah. I'm worried about the passing attack. And now you're telling me that when Chubb was there, they led the league in rushing for four games? Yikes. Yeah, so, I'd like to me, you better be sharp offensively because either you got to play keep away or keep up in the scoring yeah. department. Yeah, no doubt. And I hope Chubb just – I hope they give him another week thinking they can pull this off and it's just Kareem Hunt, but because Nick Chubb gets in there, oh boy, our, our bad tackling habits could be exposed again. And hopefully that's not oh. the case, but I'm, I'm with you. I feel a shootout vibe, but it'd be kind of nice to win one of these shootouts. There's no question about that. Oh yeah, Mark, baby. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Johnny. Up next, and well, Mark didn't even know it. He's going to stick around. He's going to talk with the president of the Texans, Jamie Roots. Something special going on with good old JR. We'll have that next for you on Texans All Access. Don't miss a single thing on your favorite team. Follow us on Twitter at Houston Texans. This is Texans Radio. 
calling all Houston Texans fans. It's time to take it to the house with Ashley Homestore. Enter for a chance to win two tickets to an upcoming Texans home game at NRG Stadium. To enter, simply text TEXANS to 797979 or visit any Houston Ashley Homestore location near you. We have 12 Houston area locations to serve you. Enter today only at Ashley Homestore. This is home. Proud partner of the Houston Texans. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. Now, one of my favorite stats, one of my favorite things in all of football is the long ball. I think everybody likes to see the bomb. I mean, everybody loves that, right? I mean, I, I do. I love the bomb. Now, I love the intricacies of football, those kind of things, but the bomb has always been my guilty pleasure, especially when somebody throws as pretty a deep ball as Deshaun Watson. And the only person before that that I loved really watching through the deep ball was Warren Moon. I thought Warren Moon had the prettiest release, spiral, everything. Warren Moon came out of the womb throwing a football like it's supposed to be done. I used to love watching Warren Moon. I feel that same way about Deshaun Watson. And I know that Warren Moon's a huge fan of Deshaun Watson. Well, when it comes to the long ball, Deshaun Watson is second in this season in 2020 for the longest completed air distance for a completed throw. 63.4 yards completed. That my friends, is a bomb. And so what that means, it may not have been a 63-yard touchdown, but it was a 63.4-yard throw for a touchdown. And you know at the other end of that had to be uh, Will Fuller. But man, what a second. Russell Wilson's first with a throw of 64.4 yards. You throw something that far, you hope it's completed. But a lot of times it's not. You overthrow a receiver, can't hang on to it. That's a long way to toss the ball. Russell Wilson first, Sean Watson second, just one yard completing them for the longest completed air distance in the year 2020. All right, it's time to get to Mark Vandermeer's conversation with the Prez. No, not Jamal Adams, the real president, Jamie Roots, president of the Texans, president of Lone Star Sports Entertainment. Jamie has, well, you know what? I don't want to spoil the surprise. I don't know. Maybe it's not a surprise anymore, but I don't really want to spoil it. I know Mark's going to talk to him about it. So I don't want to spoil it, but you'll love hearing what Jamie has to say. Here's Jamie Roots, the president of the Texans with the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. And a new book authored by you, Jamie, called The Winning Game Plan. Welcome and congratulations on the book. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I know you're an author as well, and you've got one coming out. Well, soon enough, soon enough. But we're here to talk about yours. And look, I love this idea because there's so much that goes on within the organization, operating the organization that so many people never see and never know about, but they feel the results, if you will, when they go to a Texans game. Why write the book? Tell us the reasoning. Well, I I really wanted to share the, uh, the fundamental principles that have been so effective for us as an organization and actually dating back to uh, running the Columbus crew in major league soccer and in, in hopes that it could help folks in their leadership journey. Um, none of it's really revolutionary. It's uh, fairly uh, uh, fundamental, um, but 
I've spent a lot of time studying, reading, listening, interviewing, talking to leaders, and wanted to put that in one place so that uh, hopefully it can help folks to be better leaders because we all need we we all need better leaders in uh, in society. Well, speaking of leadership, uh, you've had to be at your very best in this last year, the last nine months or so. Obviously, every year is a challenge in every business, professional sports included. But this year, with the coronavirus pandemic, how has it been different? Take us through a little bit of that journey, operating the business successfully through everything we've been experiencing. Well, I'll tell you, just the—I mean, there there's some things that I've had to do to uh, to transition our organization to get us refocused on a revised set of uh, priorities, really. But the most important thing has been uh, the the people that we have within our organization, the talent within the Houston Texans, the culture that we have that is so resilient, and our you know our focus on our purpose of uh, you know, winning championships, uh, creating memorable experiences, and doing great things for Houston. The other thing it, that is really important is the relationships that we've built over a long period of time, and our ability to preserve those through this situation has been absolutely critical. That's been our focus. There are two things when I talk about the machine of the Houston Texans, there are two things that are so critically important. The people that work within our organization and the relationships that we have within our community, that's the machine. And so we've worked very hard this year to protect the machine. How has operating through other adverse situations in the history of the Texans, numerous hurricanes, other instances, how has that helped you now? What are some of the things you've learned along the way that maybe can benefit everybody? Yeah, well, anytime you're facing adversity, there are a couple of things that are really important. And I talk about it in the book. Number one is you got to you have to push back. You have to say, I am not giving in to this challenge. Number two is you have to be positively focused. And you've heard that phrase a lot. You really embrace the positive within the situation that you're in and focus on the things that you can control. If you can't control it, don't worry about it. Just mm-hmm. focus on what you can control. Number three is to believe. You know, we can't overcome this. Uh, Walt Disney was, uh, was, uh, was uh, positioned as a uh, when he, while well, he was interviewing for a job at a newspaper and they did not get the job because he had no original ideas, <laughs> <laughs> but he believed in himself and he kept going. And it was really, I mean, that's, that's what you have to do. And then number three, uh, number four is just persevere. You know, uh, you just have to keep going. The, uh, uh, the difference between winning and losing is so often, you know, how long you give it before you give up. And just so just keep going. And these are all basic things, but these are things that we've learned through the adversity that we've faced as an organization. Unfortunately, this has been about seven months, a hurricane that lasted seven months. And so we've had to really be very disciplined in our application of those uh, those uh, uh, adversity uh, plays. Well, and and we're still kind of in the storm right now, so let's hope it ends soon. Jamie Roots joining us, author of The Winning Game Plan. All right, uh, those of us who know you know your story, and it's so interesting. How much of this do you share? And go ahead and share some of it right now. Why did you decide and how did you decide to work in sports? 
Yeah, well, um, I will share, I'll, I'll share a little, I share a little bit in the book, but more importantly, I really wanted to make sure that the uh, ideas mm-hmm. that can be effective for people are what is down on paper, right? So there's not, there's not a ton of it. I, I decided to work in sports because athletic competition has been so central to my life. I mean, from the time that I was a kid through college, uh, I left and I worked in a traditional business. I really tried, I promise, to, uh, <laughs> to be in a traditional business. I was at IBM for several years. It, it didn't, didn't really take. I was at Procter & Gamble. It didn't really inspire me. And so, um, and it's not that those are not great organizations. They're great companies, both of them leading in their industries, right? But I, I really, I just, there's something about athletic competition the drama, and, and, and you and I align on this, the yeah. drama, the, uh, the excitement, the energy, the, even if you lose, it's better than being in the middle. Even mm-hmm. if you, you know, even if yeah. you're at the depths of your sorrow, it's better than just being monotone day after day. And so that, that, that's just something that was uh, important to me. And uh, while my uh, approach to running the Houston Texans has always been very much, you know, uh, Wall Street Journal, best practice business application. Um, I couldn't do it in a, in a traditional business. It had to be something that gave me that level of energy and passion and excitement. Well, those of us in the building know that you, you shape the entire business side of the operation like a team, like a gigantic team. And you were on such a successful team, multiple teams in soccer at Clemson, winning two national championships. I know you're very humble about it. If it were me, I'd wear a hat that said that, and I'd walk around every day like that. But tell us what you learned from there. I know it's got to be a lot of things, but a couple of central ideas that you learned playing on championship teams that apply to what you're doing today and what everybody can use out there. Yeah, so – it was uh, 1987, and I was on a bus riding to the, uh, to the national championship game. And I was with my best friend, uh, Paul Rutenis. And Paul said to me, uh, Jamie, we have to play the game anyway. We might as well win it. <laughs> and at that moment, it really struck me. And we did. We, and we won it. And we won. We were champions. But it, I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? we had overcome being the last team selected in the NCAA tournament. We had to go on the road to Evansville to Indiana that had never lost in the playoffs at home, had to go to Rutgers with Lexi Lalas. And then, and then we're playing in the championship game after beating North Carolina, who had beaten us four zero during the season. If we don't win this game, we walk away with nothing. Mm. You have to commit to winning. It's an attitude. It's not, I mean, yeah, you can't win every time, but every time you step on the field, every time you go into the boardroom, every time you have a negotiation, play to win. Mm -hmm. Whatever that outcome is that you're looking for, commit to it. You may not get it, but if you don't commit to it, if you're wishy-washy, if you're not really clear about what you want, you're never going to be successful. Right. So commit to what you want and go make it happen. And that is the most important thing that came out of the time that I spent at Clemson. 
All right. You talked about what you learned from your best friend, Paul, and that seems to stay with you. And I know you learn from everybody you talk to, uh, but give us a couple of key influences in your life, people that you've interacted with, worked with, that have been big influences on you and the way you operate, Jamie. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the, the three most important were, number one, at Indiana University when I was, uh, 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 you know, worked with the, the team and got my MBA, uh, Jerry Yeagley. The, Jerry Yeagley was a head men's soccer coach there. And just the way that he conducted himself and the way that he organized the program, it isn't about your, your, um, your environment. You can create something truly world-class wherever you are. I mean, it's not like the soccer program at Indiana University was, I mean, it's not changing people's lives. But the way that Yeggs ran it, incredible respect. You just, mm-hmm. I mean, you just had to, you had to respect it. You had to revere it. The principles that he used were so effective. And then going to Columbus uh, with the Columbus crew, uh, Lamar Hunt, the guy with the highest integrity. I mean, the most humble man maybe I've ever met in my life. I mean, somebody had, you know, as successful as he's been to be that humble was really remarkable. And uh, at his, uh, as, uh, at the service at the end of his life, one of his friends, uh, Jack Stedman got up and said, when God made man, he had Lamar Hunt in mind. Wow. And, there's not a better statement about that man. And then of course, Bob McNair, who I have dedicated this book to, Mm. uh, you know, just, he changed my life. He changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life. He taught me so much. In fact, I told someone, um, actually I told him the last time we visited before he passed away that, uh, the, um, Bible, the Bible and church is all about providing you a guide to live. Okay. You want to live a Christ-like life and nobody can ever live to that standard, but nobody's ever embraced that more or been more effective at it than Bob McNair. A remarkable man. No question about it. The founder of the Houston Texans. Okay. What do people, this is a good one because I think that those of us who work in professional sports, uh, obviously we, we encounter a lot of interactions with people where they don't really understand the business side of things. What do people not understand about the way a professional sports franchise operates and the way it needs to operate properly? They see the, the product on the field or the playing surface. What do they not see that's really important uh, that everybody can sort of glean something from? Yeah, I think most importantly that I love football. Mm-hmm. I, I watch football on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If they go show it on Tuesday, I'm going to watch it too. <laughs> yeah. But very little of our success has to do with what you see on the football field. What mm-hmm. uh, Our success is driven by our ability to, to create an environment for our fans that is – unavailable anywhere else. The, the ability to bring people together, to share their company, to provide a level of energy and excitement. And they, you have to be committed to winning, but it isn't about winning. It's about, it's about the community looking at this franchise and seeing themselves in us. 
And if we can do that well, we can withstand whatever happens on the football field. Now, if you go 0-16 for 10 years, people are probably going to check out. But then what kicks in there is our commitment to winning. If you're committed to winning, you're probably not going to go in 0-16, right? You're going to take the corrective actions to get yourself in a better place. But it isn't all about that. I've heard people say, if we win, everything will take care of itself. That's not true. That's not true. What is true is uh, be a, a, an, a, an organization that the community can see themselves in and do great things for your community. If we do those two things really well, we'll be successful. Well, and you need the right people on your roster. So give us a couple of tidbits on the hiring philosophy of you and the Houston Texans, how you operate. Yeah, well, um, not, nothing that we do. I mean, we're not, not, we're not NASA, okay? We're not, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not the, uh, uh, you know, CDC. We don't need rocket science, scientists, right? So we, what we need is people that, that have three things, the fundamental non-negotiables, people with a great work ethic, because unfortunately to do what we do, it takes a lot of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have to be committed to it. Number two is a winning attitude, positive, optimistic, team oriented. You got to like people. You have Mm -hmm. to be one of those type of people to be successful with the Houston Texans. And number three is uh, you have to be, interested in operating in a manner consistent with our values, be innovative, be memorable, be passionate, be accountable, be courageous, be a team player. And if you have those three things, you can be successful at the Houston Texans. As I think back at all the people that we have had to part ways with, rarely does it have to do with your performance. Almost always it has to do with Attitude, work ethic, values alignment. Mm, that's great stuff. And it sounds like you'll be successful in pretty much anything if you operate that way, if you conduct hey, yourself. It's that available. Way. Let me tell you, attitude and work ethic is available to everyone. <laughs> you just have to choose yeah. to, do, to do it. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot of great stuff in this book, and a lot of people are going to benefit from it, and it's exciting. Do you talk about the the birth of the franchise and Mr. McNair? And and I've read excerpts of the book, but not the entire thing yet. Yeah, well, one of the more um, emotional stories is when when Bob McNair passed. And while, you know, it it does weigh heavy on my heart, just that, that, that window of time, it was so incredibly gratifying to see the response of our organization to that, to have to put together, you know, in a flash, a remembrance for Bob on uh, Monday night football, and then to host a celebration of his life at NRG stadium. Uh, part of me was concerned that we couldn't handle all of that. But in the instance, when I was asked, you know, can we make that happen? I saw your face, I saw John Schriever, and I saw Disney Harris, and I saw all the people that would have to be a part of that. And everyone shaking their head, I got it, we, we got this. And it, 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 just, it just was another, um, uh, another reminder of the whatever it takes attitude that exists within our building 
And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, I mean, you talked about handling adversity. Once you hit adversity, if you don't have the right people, if you don't have the right culture, if they're not all bought in, you're toast. You, you are not going to be able to handle what, what comes. And fortunately for us, we have such incredibly talented and committed people that understand what we're trying to get accomplished and they buy in that whatever comes, I'm not concerned. We're going to be able to handle it. I texted Jamie after his book came out and I said, look, I'm going to read it because I think everybody should read it, but it's going to have to wait till after the season because I don't read anything during the season. Nothing. I got too much football going on. All right. Final segment. That means it's in the lab time. My brosive Drew Doherty stops by and we discuss this one at Cleveland coming up on Sunday. Can't get enough Texans radio? We've got shows. We've got podcasts. We've got interviews. It's all on HoustonTexans.com. Hey, it's David Johnson from the Houston Texans here with my good friend Toro. If you've watched the Texans game, you may have noticed that us players are big and strong and that playing football requires us to be pretty tough. However, that doesn't mean we haven't had to deal with bullying before. If you or someone you know is being bullied, be yourself. Use your voice. Leave and look out for others. Join Toro and I as we take the bull out of bullying, presented by NOV. For more information, visit HoustonTexans.com slash bullying. Hey, Texans fans, Drew Doherty here. Are you looking for a new home? First Community Credit Union has everything from purchase loans to construction loans, VA loans, and more. With our competitive rates, low to no closing costs, and rate match guarantee, FCCU can help you navigate home ownership. Discover your options at FCCU and get pre-approved today at FCCU.org forward slash home loans. First Community Credit Union is the official credit union of the Houston Texans. First Community Credit Union is an equal housing opportunity lender. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by AWS. Behind every incredible play are thousands of data points you might otherwise miss, such as a player's speed, field location, and movement patterns. The NFL uses AWS to process this large and complex data in real time. It's called Next Gen Stats, and with AWS machine learning and artificial intelligence technology, the NFL has developed ways to uncover deeper insights and expand the fan experience by offering a broader range of advanced stats and visualizations. Visit nextgenstats.nfl.com for all things stats. Next Gen Stats, powered by AWS. Now here's the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. We are one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris. I am one half of the In the Lab podcast crew. And I brought along my bro Sif to give you a little snippet what you got on this week's In the Lab podcast. So here we go. Table of contents uh, is like this, two chapters today. First chapter is what if I told you? And then second chapter is the key the Texans have to beating the Browns is, or what do the Texans need to do to beat the Browns? So John, what if I told you that a rookie quarterback would throw for 304 yards and a 73 yard touchdown on the third play of the game? What if I told you that the Texans primary back against Jacksonville would average 2.6 yards per carry on 16 carries. Hmm. 
What if I told you that the Texans lost a fumble? Would you feel good about the Texans beating the Jaguars with all the Whitney Merciless and Jacob Martin yeah. and Bradley Roby, uh, Dylan Cole gone? Would you feel good? No. I didn't feel good going into that game. Um, yeah. I had studied Jake Luton when he was at Oregon State. So I knew the guy could throw it. I knew he could throw it. Third play of the game, he obviously showed that. But, you know, it's one thing to have a strong arm. It's another thing to put the ball on the money to it's where the receiver pass. doesn't even have to, like, break stride. Um, and DJ Chark didn't have to break stride. But I was proud of this team for the way it played on Sunday. It wasn't always perfect, obviously. But I was proud of the way it played because they did. Like, like you talked about, those things that you mentioned. Now, he threw for over 300 yards. He got about 75 or 80 on that final drive when he took him all the way down the field. Um, and that doesn't obviously – and he got 73 of it on the first uh, – third play of the game. But I think in between, I think the defense showed some resilience. Now, the one thing the defense didn't do was have a four or five interception day, and it could have. Terrell Adams had one right in his hands. Phil Gaines Phil had – Gaines had two, yeah. I had two. You know, add that on to the Vernon Hargraves, you know, and now you got a rookie with potentially four interceptions. And – of those four interceptions, do you turn it into 10 points, 14 points, 28 points? Who knows? But those are interceptions right in their hands and didn't take advantage of it. But, yeah, that's the breaks of the game. But Deshaun did his thing. He was able to spread the wealth. Will Fuller uh, was able to shine um, and was fantastic. You know, all the trade rumors, I know that had the impact. I mean, he talked about it. It did impact him. But at the end of the day, he said, look, I just got, I got to go play. I got to play no matter what happens, whether I'm back with the Texans uh, for 2021 in the future or not, or what I got to go play. And he did. And that catch that he made on the sidelines was just phenomenal. And then he took that to the house. And the thing about it is drew since 2016, I think of all the great things you're watching DeAndre Hopkins, catch the ball, JJ Watts, sacks, all that kind of stuff. Deshaun doing his thing. I love to watch Will Fuller in the open field with the football and have people try and catch him. I like that more than anything. He's like a deer. It's not going to happen. It's yeah, and it's. I don't know about you, but I was stunned when I saw the note right there during the game that that seventy-seven yarder was the longest of his career because it feels yeah. like he's gone deeper and he's he's caught longer passes. But then I thought back, like, okay, well, the Seattle one was seventy-five yards, I believe, right? It was about sixty. Yeah. Well, it was because he got a okay. first down. They got a first down and yeah. got it to about 60. But you know, That felt Miami, like a bomb. I mean, yeah. that was a bomb and a half. In 2018 against Miami, I think yeah. were, it was 73 yards. Mm -hmm. um, and he just roasted the Miami secondary. Sean laid out there. It ended up being a, a walk-in 73-yard touchdown. But this one, you know, the, the thing I said, it was interesting, uh, Drew, because during the broadcast, Mark threw it down to me and said, hey, what did you see? And I said, talking about that touchdown – I don't know that two, three, four years ago, Will makes that catch because of the way he had to adjust to it. I think Will's always, as Tim Kelly told us, he always has run really good routes. He's no doubt been twitchy and explosive. But making the adjustment on a ball like that, I don't know that that would have been something that he did that fluidly. And he cut in front of C.J. Henderson, went and got it, and ran it to the house. That was as fun a play as I've seen in a number of years, just because it's Will getting loose uh, in the open field of football, and you're just not catching him. And it was so funny because earlier in the game, Drew, it was a third and three. And I think when you don't play Fuller a lot, you don't really understand 
how fast he is. And there's the third and three. And on the opposite side of me, it was Fuller against Sidney Jones. And so Sidney was, was up on him, but not like pressing him, but he was up close to him. And as Will left the line of scrimmage, within about three steps, Will had gotten even with Sidney Jones. With the next two steps, he was pulling away and running away from him. And it's like Sidney Jones is a pretty fast guy. And Will is running away from him down the field. But Deshaun had already decided to throw the ball to the other side, so he didn't see Will on that one. But it just showed the explosiveness that he has and the easy way with which he runs away from people. It's, it's mind-blowing to see that guy, what he does. Well, pre-snap on the, the touchdown play, I noticed – you know, I, I, was, I was watching the ball, basically, watching everything. But for some reason on that play, right before the snap, I noticed the coverage kind of – it looked like he, he backed up quite a bit and yeah. gave him quite a lot of space. And it, that just sort of caught my eye. But I didn't think, oh, well, they're going to necessarily go yeah. to him. And then Deshaun was in a little bit of trouble. You know, he had to scramble a little bit. And he saw him. And, I mean, it's just like Will went – and turned a gear and he yep. was gone and it was fun to see like i said earlier watching will fuller run with a football or just run on a football field on a field where fast guys are all over the place and he embarrasses them all it's just fantastic to watch that was great stuff if you want to hear the second part of that conversation make sure you check out in the lab podcast you'll check out deep slant and Vandermeer's View as well. Podcasts are kicking at this time. Oh, by the way, I got a podcast too at footballtakeover.com. It's called Football Friends. I go find a friend. I talk to him about college football. College football oriented. But I talk to him about college football. It's a fun one. Uh, So you definitely want to go check that out. I've had, I think, seven episodes, so you can check that. Add that to your podcast listening resume as well. Big thanks to Drew, Terrell Adams, DP Sidhu, Nathan Zagura, to Mark Vandermeer, to Jamie Roots, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. My name is Anthony Smith-Gray, owner of the Spot Lounge and Bar. Business was great, and then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I needed someone who knew what they were doing. I'm Javon Sterling. She was at risk of being left behind, and I offered to assist. Javon was absolutely fantastic. He understood the dynamics of a small business. Thank you, Amogene. Amogene Bank, a division of Zions Bank Corporation, N.A., member FDIC, official business bank of the Houston Texans.